welcoming one another is a big part of what it means to be a Christian family. So, so glad you're here this morning, especially if you're new. My name is Michael, and I'm a church planting resident here at The Vine. And before we jump into this morning, I just want to open in a word of prayer and ask God to help us listen this morning, all right? So would you join me? Father, it is so good to know that you are rich in love and slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love. Your word says that if you counted every one of our sins, who could stand before you? And yet this morning, you welcome us. You welcome us into your family through Christ. You welcome us to listen to your word as a father teaching a son or daughter he loves how to walk in a way that's good. And so would you give us ears to listen? In our weakness, meet us and strengthen us to live for your glory. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, these last couple of weeks, as, we, as we've been working through First Peter, we've been really in the section that is, is asking the question, what does it look like for a Christian to live in such a way that God gets all the glory and honor and credit, right? That when non-Christians or people outside the family of faith were to look in at our lives, they would see something that makes them say, their God must be awesome if he gets them to live like that, Right? That, that's really the big section we are in. And Jesus is given as the ultimate example of the one who always did the Father's will, who always brought glory to the Father. And we saw that so clearly in the section on, on how servants are to, to walk like Christ. But I don't want us to miss this. In chapter 3, verse 1 and 3, verse 7, that first word, likewise, for both wives and husbands, I think it's reminding us, hey, husbands and wives, like Jesus, here's how you're called to live. Jesus is this great example of what it means to glorify God. And last week we heard, as Zach just preached, it was a great sermon, you guys should listen to it, the call for wives to courageously, joyfully, lovingly submit to their husbands and God's good design. And this reflects how Christ himself submitted himself to the Father. And that was good. But we also recognize that that's hard. Right? And I think that reality is especially hard because if we're honest, sometimes those texts have been taken and used and abused by men, even Christian men throughout history, in ways that just makes men out to be jerks. Right? Um, I was thinking about uh, this. Uh, I remember four or five years ago, I watched My Fair Lady for the first and only time. It's this, it's this classic musical. I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but it's, you know, it's, it's classic musical. And so we were watching it, but I still remember the gut reaction I had at the very end. They come back from the ball. Eliza Doolittle passed off as, you know, some noble princess. And the professor and his friend are just going on and on about how awesome they are that they pulled this off. And Eliza Doolittle is just standing there like, "Um, hello, I did all the work too, right? And they're giving her no credit at all. And she calls them out on it, and, and they don't apologize for it. And like, the very last, like, scene is basically this professor who she's kind of fallen in love with, like, asking her to go get him his slippers or something. And I was like, what? Really? Is that the picture of loving men that we want in the church? 
Peter gives us a better picture this morning. He's going to give us a better picture. Because Peter's going to call us to say, look, when, when the culture doesn't love God's design for marriage, if you want the world to see the beauty of God, if you want the culture to see the beauty of how God's designed marriage, if you want the world to see the beauty of Jesus' lordship over the church, which marriage represents, then church, and this morning men in particular, you need to live out that beauty. So people say, I didn't, I didn't think I liked that, but when I see it lived out, it's beautiful. That's what Peter is inviting us into, to live out the beauty of God's design, not maybe what our culture would tell us to live. And this is really important. Now, obviously, this morning, it's focused primarily on husbands. Peter's directly addressing husbands. But I, but I want to encourage all of us to not tune out, because I think there's something here for all of us. So I think about single guys. I encourage you, listen in, because this might be preparation for marriage for you if God calls you to it. But even more than that, really what Peter's calling husbands to is really just what He's calling all men to treat all women to. And so as you hear me apply this specifically in marriage, also be thinking, how does this apply to how I treat my sisters in Christ? Because it does. And ladies, it, as you listen in, I encourage you, listen in so that when you see your brothers in Christ striving by God's grace, not perfectly, but striving to live this out, that you can come alongside them and encourage them. And say, I, I see you trying to grow in this. I want to encourage you and spur you on. I know it's hard. Keep going because it's good. And if you're not married right now, I just encourage you, like, this is something you want any guy that wants to marry you to be committed to, to striving to live this out. Don't settle for a guy that's not willing to strive, keyword strive, for this. Okay? And if you're a married woman, don't use this verse to, like, beat up your husband and just condemn him afterwards. But do use it to spur him on. And as Zach said last week, if, if you're seeing that there's some major challenges in your marriage and you need help, as elders, the elders are here to care for you and walk with you and walk with your husband to help him live in a way that's good and God-honoring. But really for all of us, I feel like the biggest goal this morning is not just that we get something to do leaving this place, but that our hearts are captured by God's beautiful vision of what marriage could look like. And as we see that, that would turn our eyes to see and glorify God as the beautiful God that he is. That's, that's what's in front of us this morning. That's the beautiful thing that we get to hear and see and hopefully live out and taste. And so, husbands, what we're going to see this morning, right, is we're called to show honor to our wives as we live with them in an understanding way for Christ's glory and our spiritual good. Show honor and live with understanding for Christ's glory and our spiritual good. And so I'm going to, to read this, this one verse, short verse, but lots in here. And then we're going to kind of zero in on three key phrases to work, work us through the passage. So listen to 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So let's look at this first phrase. Live with your wives in an understanding way. What does that mean? What does it mean to live with your wife in an understanding way? Understanding of what? 
understanding her personality, like what, what, what's going on? And this is really clear, this question comes up, because if you're doing a more word-for-word translation from the original, it's live according to knowledge. And you're like, well, what knowledge, right? That's the question I'd have. What knowledge are we called to live according to? So maybe you'd say, well, maybe it's knowledge of like how my wife is wired, like her personality and her giftings and kind of what ways to love her. And that could be. That's a good thing to know, to kind of care for your wife. Other people, as they wrestle with this, say, well, maybe we need to go back to chapter 1, verse 14 of 1 Peter, because there he says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So he's saying, look, before you knew Jesus, you just lived how you wanted in ignorance. But now he's calling husbands to live according to knowledge, not their former ignorance. And that's, that, that, very, that very well could be true as well. There also could be something right in the verse that helps us think about this. Is there some kind of knowledge or some truth that Peter's telling us about wives that he wants husbands to understand so they can know how to live well? And I think he is going to do that because Peter is going to say, look, how you view your wife, men, how you view women, shapes how you treat them, right? So I remember reading of, of a, a study in psychology. It's been a while, so I don't, don't remember all the details. But basically, they, they took guys, and they showed them different pictures, and they rapid-fired them through. Some of them were pictures of, like, tools or just objects, and some were of pictures of women. And what they were testing is to see which parts of the brain kind of lit up when those pictures were flashed. The more communicative, like engaging people side, or the working with tools side. And for men that had used porn regularly, often the difference was there was none. The same part of the brain that thought about using tools lit up when the pictures of women were shown up. It's almost as if viewing women as objects led them to treating them as objects, which is Peter's point. So he wants to say, look, I want to give you a different way of viewing women. That will lead you to treating them differently. And so he's going to say, look, I want to avoid two errors that often cultures make. On the one hand, cultures sometimes say, look, there's no difference between men and women. Let's just flatten it out. We're all the same. All the same. No difference at all. Just treat you all exactly the same. The other thing is we say, yeah, there's a difference, and men are superior. Right? Those are often two ditches that we can fall. And Peter's going to say, no, no, no. Look, I'm going to give you two pieces of knowledge in this passage. And what he's going to say in 1 Peter 3, 7 is this, right? He says, look, you can't say that women are in fear because they are heirs, co-heirs of the grace of life with you. They're not in fear. They're co-heirs with you. On the other hand, you can't say there's no differences because they are a weaker vessel or a weaker nature. Now, we're going to get to that in a second, so just hold on there. Because I know that potentially... When you hear that phrase, weaker vessel or weaker nature, some of you might, like, bristle internally. Like, I don't like that. That sounds like inferiority, right? And it's because our culture views weakness that way. Weakness is inferior in our culture. But Peter's not schizophrenic, okay? It's not like Peter was, like, writing, and at one moment he was thinking women are inferior, calls them weaker vessels. And then, like, five seconds later, as he's writing, he flips it into this other personality and calls them co-heirs of grace, okay? That's not what Peter's doing. Peter's not schizophrenic. So he's not saying they're inferior. We just need to start there. It doesn't mean inferior. 
it also does not mean anything derogatory. Like, oh, he's calling them a vessel. That's some kind of object. Now, the term vessel is used throughout Scripture, even for men. It just means the person, basically. So it's not a derogatory term. It's not an inferior term. So what does that term mean? Well, some argue that weaker means just physically weaker. Just Women just naturally are more physically weak than men. Um, now, obviously, not every man is stronger than every woman. But as a general rule, right, that, that's true. I mean, that's why even our culture, we don't generally have men compete against women in the Olympics, right? There's, we kind of recognize that there's a difference there, right? But I also wonder if Peter's left it vague because there's maybe several things he could be thinking of, and one of them might be right in the passage right before. Because in verses 1 to 6, he had called wives to trusting God to submit to their husbands. That's a weaker social position. Right? And what often, unfortunately, happens is that when people end up being weaker, either physically or socially or whatever, what happens is the strong take advantage of them, right? Isn't that the basic pattern of human history, the strong taking advantage of the weak? So Peter says, not you, Christian men. That's not how you act. You live not in your former passions of ignorance. You live with knowledge of who your wife is. She is a co-heir of the grace of life She is made in the very image of God. And yes, she might be weaker than you socially, physically, whatever, but you don't take advantage of her. That's not how Christian men act. No, they treat them as valuable and precious. That's what Christian men do. Because after all, men are called to live like Christ. And how did Christ treat us when we, his bride, the church, were the weaker partner? How does Christ live as the perfect husband? I love what Romans 5 says. It says this, While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see what Christ did? He didn't look on our weakness and say, Great, I can take advantage of that. He said, Oh, there's weakness? I'm going to pay the cost to love and care and protect and redeem. That's what it looks like. And that's what Peter's calling husbands to. You live... You live differently. You live like Christ with the differences of your wife. This has always been the biblical worldview, that God loves to protect and cherish and care for the things that are called weak by the world. But those are the things that are shown more honor, which is why across Scripture you see that God always says, care for the orphan, care for the widow, care for the unborn, care for the refugee because they're weak in society. And so we give extra care to them because they're just as valuable as the strong. That's how we treat them. That's how husbands and men are called to treat their wives and women, the way Christ treats us. Imagine with me that your body had a particular weakness. Say you, you caught the cold easily, right? You catch colds easily. You have a history of pneumonia, bronchitis. What do you do in the middle of winter when it hits zero degrees in Madison? You bundle up, right? You go outside, you wear extra clothes compared to maybe somebody else. You maybe wear a scarf. You, you care for that weakness of your body, right? And you would, you, you would think a person's crazy if they're like, oh, yeah, I, I get pneumonia all the time when I get cold, and you saw them walking around in a T-shirt 
in downtown Madison when it's zero degrees out, right? It's crazy. You don't do that. It's not caring for your body. Well, Paul uses that analogy when he talks about marriage in Ephesians 5. He says this, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So Paul's saying, look, if your body had a weakness, you would care for it and nourish and cherish it. And if for whatever reason there's some kind of weakness in your wife, you nourish, you cherish, you care. That's what it looks like to live in understanding. You don't see weakness as a burden, but as an opportunity to serve, to care, to bless. So guys, husbands, is that how you see your wife? Do you see her as someone to live with, with an understanding, to care for her, that in the ways that maybe she's weak, that you don't view that as a burden, but you're like, wow, God has given me the privilege of loving her in the midst of that, just as Christ loved me in the midst of my weakness. Is that your attitude? To not see it as something that carry as of some burden, but joyfully loving your wife. And that phrase, living with, really encompasses all of life. And so th- this could be anything. This is, this is thinking about how to live with your wife and how you use your time and plan your calendar, how you use your money. It's, it's managing the home together. It's living with in the bedroom. All of those things. Are you thinking about what's good for my wife and how to serve her as who she is? Or are you just thinking about yourself? That's what Peter's calling us to. To think not about ourselves, but to think about our wives. Second, he goes on, 1 Peter 3, 7, to say that we are to show them honor. To show them honor. That we show them honor because of who they are. Made in God's image, co-heirs of the grace of life. We show honor to women just because of who they are. I had a friend, he was, uh, uh, him and his wife were missionaries in India, working amongst a, a Muslim minority population. And, and the, it was, they had this cool tradition in that kind of community, cool in a way, where when, when a baby was born, the father, instead of receiving gifts, would go out to the community and give gifts to all the neighbors, all his friends, say, celebrate with me the birth of my boy, because it was only for boys they did that. But my friend, being a missionary there, when their first child was born, it was a boy, and he did that. But when their second child was born, it was a girl. You know what he did? He went out and gave gifts to all his neighbors. He said, celebrate with me the birth of my daughter. She's precious in God's sight. Just as valuable to me as, valuable to me as my son. He showed honor. That's what Peter's calling men to do, husbands to do their wives. Show them honor. We show honor. They're not inferior. They're not less valuable. They're co-heirs of the grace of life. They get to experience adoption into God's family. They get to experience the hope of the inheritance of the new heavens and new earth just as much as us. So show them honor because God does. He made them in his image. And I think we just need to pause here because this is radical. 
I know maybe it doesn't feel as radical to us anymore because our culture says that men and women are equal. But back in the day when Peter was writing this, inspired by God, women couldn't always inherit. And he says, no, you get to inherit just as much as the men in God's kingdom. And women often couldn't even give testimony in a court of law because their testimony was counted worthless. And in that time and place, Peter, inspired by God, says, no, that's not how you live, Christian men. You show them honor. They're co-heirs with you of life. And one of the reasons why I think that we really know this, this is the scriptural teaching, this is God's view on gender, is because it's always been countercultural and always will be. As 2,000 years ago, it was countercultural for Peter to say they are co-heirs of the grace of life. They are equal in value. But today, it's often countercultural to say we're different. No, no one culture made this up because then they would just do what their culture did. But the Bible has always been prophetic against culture on how men are called to treat women. Equal, but different. And because women are valuable, guys, we have to show them honor, which means we can't dishonor them, right? So locker room talk, guy talk, gentlemen's clubs, there's nothing guy-ish about them. There's nothing gentlemanly about them. That's sin talking. That's sin acting. It's not something that honors God. Jesus, who was the greatest man, he showed honor to women. When women were not allowed to be disciples a lot of times, he invited Mary to sit at his feet and learn. And when a woman who had been a social outcast for 12 years due to discharge of blood touched his robe and got healed, he stopped everything he did and called her out of the crowd so he could pronounce over her that she was clean so she could be restored to community. That's Jesus showing honor to women because they're made in his image. So men, do you show honor? Husbands, do you show honor to your wives? The gospel trains us to show this kind of honor so that when you're at work or hanging out with friends at school and jokes about how, like, oh, yeah, we're chained to marriage, chained to my wife, or jokes that demean women come up, you don't laugh because it's not funny. You call it out for what it is. It's dishonoring women, but it's not just that. And catch this, because women are made in the image of God, when we dishonor the image of God and women, we're dishonoring God. This is not just a male-female issue. This is the glory of God at stake in how we treat women, our sisters. So do you guard yourself in purity so that you don't train your brain to think about women as sexual objects? Do you speak well of your wife, husbands, in front of your kids and in front of your coworkers? Do you show honor? I was thinking recently about abortion, about how it's so much a guy issue as well. Because where are all the men that didn't show honor and didn't love a woman carrying their child and left them? That's not how it should be among the family of God. The world should look in and see something different, something beautiful. And we get the privilege, by God's grace, not to do this perfectly, but to strive to live this way. So when people look in, they see wow, in the church and how God calls us to live as a family, that's good. 
There's still sin mixed up in it, but I see something good and beautiful there. And maybe that makes me want to love the God they worship more. That's what's at stake in when we show honor rightly. And so, maybe though, some of you think, okay, but it's hard. You don't know my wife because she's not doing her part. She's demeaning me in front of the kids. She sins against me. She hurts me. Brothers, when you were weak, when you were in your sin, did Christ wait to show you the honor of adoption to his family till you deserved it? No. You honor your wife because of who she is made in God's image and because of how Christ loved her and died for her. That's why you honor your wife. So husbands, maybe it's a good question to ask your wives this week. Do you feel like I honor you? Do you feel like I treasure you? It's honoring really is. And then maybe even be humble enough to ask, are there some ways I can grow in honoring you? So that Christ can be honored and glorified when people see our marriage and for our good? Brothers, Neither is going to be perfect, but let's be intentional to grow in showing honor. Now third, third phrase. So that your prayers will not be hindered. What does this mean? There's a lot of disagreement actually about this. Some people say, well, maybe it means that when you sin against your wife, it's going to be hard for you to go to God in prayer because you're going to feel like a hypocrite. Or maybe it means that your prayer life together as a couple will be hindered because of the tension in the relationship because your husbands, you're failing to love your wives well. Those, those both could be true. I know in my life, when I sin against my wife, it's harder to go to God in prayer. Or maybe it's that when you sin against your wife, God hinders your prayers as an act of loving discipline to correct you. Because here's the thing. I have three little girls. If you, like, came up and hurt one of my girls and then said, don't worry, Michael, I didn't do it to you. It's nothing personal. I'd be like, no, it's very personal, okay? Those are my daughters. You don't mess with them. And it's the same with God, right? I don't imagine God's like, oh, hey, you're really mistreating your wife, but you love me, so it's all cool. No. God is not okay with that. Now, whatever it is, whether it's one or all three of these, What's really crystal clear is this. This is really important because your prayers will be hindered. Whatever way there are, they are being hindered, your prayers are being hindered. And prayer is so crucial to our spiritual life, right? And so basically what Peter's saying is, look, this is so serious that your spiritual life is at stake. Do you feel the weight of that? brothers? I do. We should. Conviction is such a gift from God to help us see our sin and turn from it and run away from it. But I've also got good news. We don't just stay in conviction that leads to condemnation because we are going to fall short. Even this week as I was 
working on my sermon all day Thursday and Thursday night I got in an argument with my wife where I did not show her honor but you know what when we fail and fall short we have these words to go back to in 1 Peter 2.24 he that is Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness Did you hear that? He bore our sins. The sin of not showing honor to your wife, he bore that on the cross for you. Every time you fail, brothers, don't just stay in conviction. Don't just stay in condemnation. Use that as God's gift to say, I need to turn back to Christ. I need to come to him and say, Father, forgive me. I've dishonored you. I've dishonored your daughter. It's wrong. Thank you for Jesus. Please forgive me. Wash me. Make me clean. Make me more like Jesus for your glory. That's why Nephi, I can't do it on my own. I need help. I need help because this is impossible on my own. It's impossible with sin still dwelling in me to do this perfectly. I need help. And you know what? God loves to forgive. He loves it. He loves it when his children come to him because you know what? Then he gets to husband us the way husbands are meant to do. He gets to come alongside us in our weakness and say, I'm going to care for you in the midst of your weakness. And I'm going to show you honor in adopting you into my family even though you don't deserve it. And it Men, it's as you understand how Christ has loved you that way and so can that, that you will be fueled to go out and love your wives the same way. That you'll remember how you've been loved and honored and cared for and you'll go out and say, that's how I want to treat my wife. That's how I want to treat my sisters in Christ because I've experienced the beauty of receiving that. I want to give that. That's how the gospel motivates us into obedience. I was thinking of a man that I know as I was preparing the sermon. I just kept thinking of him. Uh, he's been married for 40 years. As I got to know him and his wife, um, I saw that his wife was very, very difficult to love. Um, long story, I won't get into it, but very difficult to love. And even though this guy wasn't perfect, I saw him love his wife well. I saw him show honor to her. I saw him live with her in the midst of her weaknesses and care for her above and beyond. And people at work knew him and knew about, this, knew about his life. And, and they would ask him all the time, how do you do it? So well, it's not me. It's Jesus. And he got to point them to the beauty of Jesus. And it was beautiful. I've been shaped by watching his life and his marriage. And that's what Peter's inviting us into. He's inviting us into living in such a way that God gets all the glory. We experience the goodness of showing honor to our wives and living with them in an understanding way. That the world looks in and says, I want that. I want that Savior that can motivate that kind of living. Brothers, feel the weight of this, but also know there is grace from your Father to strengthen you. And there is a beautiful privilege to say, God, I'm not perfect, but help me as much as I can by your grace to live like Christ.
for your glory. That's what Peter wants from us. That's what God wants from us. That we would show honor to our wives and live with them in an understanding way so that Christ would get all the glory and it would be for our own good too. Let me pray. Father, your word says that as a father has compassion on his children, so you have compassion on us for you know our frame. That's a weak frame because we are but dust. Thank you so much that you give us grace upon grace in Jesus. That in Jesus, we who are far off have been brought near, that we've been adopted into a family, that we receive the inheritance of the grace of life. All of us, men and women. And I pray especially for the men here this morning that they would know your love for them and that you would let that overflow in their lives to loving their wives and their sisters in Christ in a way that points all the glory back to you. Pray this in your name. Amen.